0: the truth news network what really is the price of freedom do you know is it the fight to let men into women's bathrooms the fight to groom children into an agenda in the schools or is it the fight to stifle dissent and so-called misinformation truth is it's none of those things if you'd like to see it the price of freedom is visible and on display at your local va hospital and that's the truth From TNN, the Truth News Network. And your master of fact is Dan Newman.
1: If you put things in that perspective, what really is freedom all about, and you start objectively trying to get your question answered, when you find the answers, it's a stark reality to believe that people actually died. People actually died. Do you realize how many people have given their lives through the years, through the centuries to keep America what America is as it was established and how many people died putting it all together in the beginning? Oh, and by the way, did you realize that in the Civil War, remember that's the war that began in the South, the South wanted to continue slavery, 600 men died during the Civil War 300,000 of them were white guys that were fighting to free the slaves. Nobody talks about those kind of things now. Division is what sells on the streets of America today. Our homelessness, our drug issues, everything is to put one group of people on one side of an issue and another group of people on the other side. It's like there's purposeful division being sown into our lives by whoever every single day. Americans are awakening. And right now, more Americans than ever are realizing our government is not really serving us the way that they portrayed they're serving us and the way they're supposed to serve us. In fact, what we found is that swamp giant in Washington, D.C., what it's been doing is swinging the pendulum its way, their way, away from we the people. And we've become, without even knowing it, we the sheeple. And the swamp dragon is who's calling all the shots. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. hate to start on a downer but we've gotta face facts. That's what we do here in the first place. But we're gonna do it together today. And it starts by recognizing something that I never thought you would hear on this show. Not just a country song, but a really, really, really country song. And this song has become an anthem of conservative America in just the last 45 days.
2: Well, I've been selling my soul Working all day Overtime hours For bullshit pay So I can sit out here And waste my life away Drag back home And drown my troubles away It's a damn shame What the world's gotten to For people like me like you wish I could just wake up and it not be true but it is Oh it is living in the new world With an old soul These rich men know for Richmond God out for miners And not just miners On an island somewhere Lord, we got folks in the street Ain't got nothing to eat And the whole beast Milking welfare Well, God, if you're five foot three And you're three hundred pounds Taxes ought not to pay For your bags of fudge rounds Young men are putting themselves Six feet in the ground Cause all this damn country does Is keep on kicking them down And they don't think you know But I know that you do Cause your dollar ain't shit And it's taxed to no end Cause the rich man North the rich man I'm selling my soul working all day over time hours for bullshit pay
1: number one song on the billboard chart today Oliver Anthony rich men north of Richmond And boy, does that song tell what's going on in our nation. It tells the story of this that just comes out every day. Some kind of crazy thing we never thought would ever happen. We find out not only is it happening, it's been happening. Joe Biden's use of mass immigration to inflate our labor market. It comes, now listen to these numbers just released minutes ago. More than 44 million working age Americans, 44 million plus working age Americans have left the workforce, period. They're not out there anymore. And that doesn't include those who are counted as unemployed. 44 million plus. This labor data was published by Stephen Camerata and Karen Ziegler at the Center for Immigration Studies. It shows that while Biden adds millions of legal immigrants and illegal aliens to the U.S. population who now hold jobs, working age Americans, especially those among the working class, are falling out of the workforce at an alarming pace. As of April, the number of American-born men and women from 16 to 64 years old who aren't working, not even in the workforce at all, stands at 44.3 million, almost 10 million more than in the year 2000, when 34.4 million were not in the workforce. That number, though, does not include the millions of U.S.-born men and women who are considered to be unemployed. These are people that are just nowhere, have no attachment, no place at all in the workforce. For six decades, the labor force participation rate American men has been dramatically going down. In 1960, I mean, that's a long time ago. For example, The share of U.S.-born men from 16 to 64 years old in the workforce was almost 90%. In 2000, 40 years later, it had dropped to 83%. By April of this year, it's at 77%. So if the same share of these men were in the labor force today as were in 1960, there would be another 9.5 million American-born men for hire. Among working-class men, the drop is even steeper. From 1960 to 2023, the labor participation rate among men without a bachelor's degree had declined by 17 percentage points. Camarada and Ziegler wrote this. This is relevant to the immigration debate. You think? Because one of the arguments for allowing in so many legal immigrants or even tolerating illegal immigration is is that the low unemployment rate, along with the aging of the U.S. population, means there aren't enough workers. But this ignores the enormous increase in the number of working-age people not in the labor force who don't show up as unemployed because they're not actively looking for work. The Biden administration has brought in so many legal immigrants and illegal aliens that foreign workers now account for the largest share of U.S. job holders since the numbers have been tracked. In 2022, foreign workers saw their share of the labor market hit the highest level in 30 years at more than percent with close to 30 million now holding US jobs. Policymakers should consider encouraging work among the millions on the economic sidelines rather than ignoring the problem and continuing to allow in large number of immigrants. Too many people are just not working. Too many Americans. So how can, you, how can you justify this? Let me tell you where it's coming from. It's coming from these massive corporations, most of them involved in agricultural work of different levels, different kinds, different places across our nation, but big, very large, multi-layered corporations. I'm not talking about a guy that runs a farm or a small ranch. I'm talking about... These corporations that own like 20 dairy farms that own tens of thousands of acres of ground on which they plant oh, all kinds of things. And they have these illegal aliens that come in and they'll work for less money than their American citizen counterparts. And so these corporations, they just cash in. So what are all these other people that are not in the workforce? What are they doing? You tell me. I don't know. But these numbers I just gave you for the last six months on this show, I have told you again and again and again. Every time we get the labor participation reports and we get the unemployment reports, I say to you, this is, is not the whole story. They're not telling us how many people are just not showing up as being in the workforce. And so the unemployment numbers we're getting are bogus because if you don't go file for unemployment, you're not going to be of record being unemployed. That's exactly what's happening. And this administration, now you know, this is why Joe Biden constitutionally is impeachable with no question because he is suborning the rule of law, the rule of law, which includes a bevy of immigration laws that he was part of crafting and getting signed into laws by the then-sitting president, and he's having his Department of Justice, his Department of Homeland Security, all of them to just open the southern border and wave all these people in. Why would they do that? Because of money. Big donors, big, wealthy, filthy, rich friends. Who would think that somebody like Bill Gates would be involved in something like this? Bill Gates is the largest land owner in the United States of America, and much of the land he owns is working agriculture operations. And we could go on and on and on. What's the Danism that I tell you whenever you have a question you can't figure it out? Follow the money. Follow the money. Joe Biden probably didn't even know about this. Even if somebody in his administration has told him about it, it probably just went right over the top of his head. But let me tell you, is something that didn't go over his head. Oh, our president decided, take a little side trip from his vacation this week. He takes one every week, but this week, it's at Lake Tahoe, except one day. Oh, he got so much heat about not getting involved at all, not even saying anything about the horror show in Maui, so he and Jill jumped on Air Force One. They wasted about eight hours flying to Maui from Lake Tahoe and then flying back, and while he was out there, he hacked off a lot of people. He laughed at some things that people took wrong. He does not have a clue. Let me tell you what's going on with his FEMA These are the people that are supposed to step up in the federal government and give everybody an interim opportunity to have at least a little bit of normalcy, filling in the blanks, things like food, you know, a place to sleep and stuff like that. Well, Joe's FEMA, on their watch, people in Maui have been denied help. Listen to why. Because they've got to show documents. Oh, you don't have your legal documents. You can't prove you're who you say you are. We can't give you any food. We can't give you uh, a free pass to stay in a hotel that the government's going to pay for. You got to prove who you are. Well, sir, I can't prove who I am because I ran out of my house one block away, and jumped into the Pacific Ocean to keep from burning to death, and I forgot my wallet. Well, if you don't have your wallet, (laughs) that's too bad. Can you believe that's happening? It's happening. During an interview that aired yesterday on News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas reports, the FEMA press secretary, Jeremy Edwards, He responded to some concerns that people in Hawaii can't get help because they're being asked by FEMA for official documentation that they don't have because it was destroyed in the fire by stating that. Now, here's the FEMA press secretary stating this. They understand that frustration, and we are looking for ways to work around that. There are ways that we have folks at that center. And encouraging people having problems to re-engage with us. Keep engaging with us. Call, and then he gave the phone number. Or stay at the disaster recovery center. That's what you need when your entire life has been taken away from you. Everything about your life. In many cases, if you're still breathing, you're the only person in your family that's alive. Because the fire killed them. But you got to get got to get the process. Oh, this is the federal government. We control, and we've, we've got all of this money that we've got to be careful how we spend it, and we got to make sure you're legitimate. Oh, we're not going to let you get a dollar that isn't coming to you. So guest host on that show, Brian Enton asked this. Another concern we've heard, Jeremy, from people on the ground is they say they show up to the FEMA sites looking for help, And they're asked for official documentation like driver's license, things like that. And they don't have those documents, obviously, that their houses have burned to the ground. They don't have what's being asked of them. And sometimes they're not getting what they need because they don't have the documents. Isn't there a way to work around that? I mean, with a fire like this, it just seems like how can you expect people to have those documents? Edwards answered, totally hear you, totally understand that frustration, and we're looking for ways to work around that. There are ways that we have folks at that center, so I want to encourage people. Does that sound like we're working around that? Look, there's only one way you can work around it. These people need food, they need clothing, they need a place to sleep, They need to know who's dead in their family and who's not. They need to know what's going to happen with them and for them and to them over the next week, two weeks, three weeks. Their lives are over. At least the life that they would known. And FEMA, I've had experiences with FEMA. I'm in Louisiana. Oh, my gosh, my entire life. I'm, I'm from South Louisiana. We had... Hurricanes that happen every other year where FEMA was there on the ground and always were brilliant at being at the right place at the right time and making people that just lost everything feel comfortable that their government is really going to do something to help out. This FEMA, this Joe Biden, let me tell you what he did. Now, if you haven't heard this story yet, it's because you hadn't been listening because every time there's any mention of a fire or any kind of other emergency, Joe gets up on the tree stump with a microphone and he tells all those people that are going through hell because of some disaster exactly how horrible his life was personally. He had at his house a massive fire that almost killed everybody. And, of course, that's BS. <laughs> there was a small kitchen fire. Nobody was threatened. Joe yesterday even mentioned his 67 Corvette. It was almost gone, burnt up. Wasn't even close to it. That's our commander-in-chief. He's got it going on, doesn't he? Honestly, I'm embarrassed to say that he is our president. I really am. Megan Kelly. I like Megan Kelly a lot. Sometimes she can be a little over the top, being crude. But in this, she said the right stuff.
3: President Biden is finally ready to actually go and survey the damage after the deadly wildfires in Hawaii. Do you know that these are the deadliest wildfires in over a century? In over a, a century. This is the shit he said no comment to. He couldn't bring himself to comment on that because he's too busy, what? Mm, Yeah, that's what he's too busy doing. He's taking vacation after vacation. It was Rehoboth Beach. Now he's out in Lake Tahoe. And under political pressure, he's got to take a little sojourn over to Maui so he can look like he has a caring bone in his body. Same way he wouldn't acknowledge his seventh grandchild until he was publicly shamed by the New York Times. And then finally came up with a statement late on a Friday night in a fifth paragraph of some paper he released saying, oh, I have seven, not six grandkids. I mean, he's all heart, this guy. He's all heart. Uh, By the way, he's going right back to more vacation after his trip to Maui.
1: President's getting excoriated on social media for a lot of reasons. How he reacted or didn't react to what's going on and has been going on for two weeks now over in Maui about the fire. Yesterday made one of the most idiotic lunacy comments while he was there. These officials over there, these policemen, they have these dogs with them. And you know what the dogs are there for. They're cadaver dogs. They're there to find dead people. And so he walks over to one of the dogs and it has little boots on because the ground is still very hot in places where they're looking for people that are dead. By the way, the mayor of Lahaina, that's the big it's not even a big town, but that's the where the biggest part of this fire was. It destroyed Lahaina. He says there are 432 missing people from Lahaina, expected many of them to be dead. They're looking for bodies. And Joe, every time he goes somewhere, he needs to realize everything he says, it's going to be on television. It's going to be on a news outlet. It's going to be on social media. He pats the cadaver dog on the head and giggles a little bit and says, the ground too hot for you, buddy? That's That should be innocent enough. But you're giggling and patting a dog on the head that literally has been finding, sniffing out dead dogs. Hawaiians that burned to death. And Joe's going to make any kind of a joke? I'm telling you, this guy does not have a clue. He really doesn't. And every day something new turns up that makes him look worse and worse and worse. It's it's making Joe look worse just because Joe's being Joe. No doubt in my mind, he is the worst president in United States history. No question about it. So we got a lot of things, a lot of things, a lot of moving pieces we're going to get into today. Top of the second hour, you know who's going to be here. It's Tuesday, Steve Baker. Since he was with us last week, he's been in front of a federal grand jury. And he's going to break all of that down for us. And he's got some more inside stuff to talk to you and me about. There is a lot of things in this uh, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Biden family syndicate stuff. Every day something new comes up. We're going to be looking at all of that. So we've got a bitty busy day underway for you.
4: Stay close.
3: 35 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began.
4: Nobody puts baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Deaths.
3: Eight celebrities compete to become the real baby and Johnny.
4: gonna my Johnny here.
3: Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event
0: starts Tuesday
2: at 9 on Fox 5.
4: Ready, set, ABC Tonight, it's all about big cash. Here we go! And big crash. <laughs> on the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. Give me some money. To win it all. A big winner of $1 million. Then, <laughs> host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Sweep.
5: On your carts! Get,
4: And we're going to need a cleanup on every aisle. You are on fire! <laughs> it all starts tonight, 8 7 Central
5: on ABC and stream on Hulu.
0: The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right, the clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or gag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries was $4.79 now just $2.99. Need more cowbell? Better yet, how about the ring of truth?
1: TNN,
0: the Truth News Network, and Dan
1: Newman. Think Pete got that right when he used the T word. We need some more truth. That's basically all we want. I am sick and tired of having things hidden from us, facts hidden from us. And I'm at a point in my life where I can't believe anything that anybody in the Biden administration says. I mean, when you've got people like Alejandro Mayorkas and you have the Homeland, uh, the Health and Human Services, Secretary Javier Becerra, you've got Joe Biden himself, you have Kamala Harris, who the heck? How can you believe anybody at what they're saying? You just can't. Have you heard about this latest crazy news that comes out down at our southern border? You know, all those building materials that were laid on the ground down there during the Trump administration when they started building the wall? Well, Biden on day one there, he basically said, put all that in storage. We're going to keep it in storage. And so they put it in storage. We've paid, taxpayers have paid hundreds of millions of dollars for storage on that stuff. And guess what we find out now? Joe has been quietly selling it out of that storage place for pennies on the dollar. So think about it in context. We paid for the materials. While Trump was president, the wall started going up. A big section, quite a bit of it was built, and it's the good stuff. And where it was built, it slowed, and in many cases, it stopped illegal immigration. And then Biden called it all off, and people just began to walk across the border. Nobody there to stop them. Nobody to enforce the rule of law. And you've got Alejandro Mayorkas, Joe Biden, the Department of Justice, all of them in the tank. Just let them come in. We want them to come in. We want them to displace American workers. We want them to take those jobs because we're beholden to these big corporations that they want these people to supplant the legal citizens and the legal immigrants that are here because they can pay those illegals far less. And, of course, that's what we do. We help them make more bottom-line money And they'll give more money to us. You know, the ruling class. Sickness is what you and I are living through. And it's impacting you and me in every sector of our lives. Many of it, we don't even know. But it is, I promise you. Now, here we rock along. We have this amazing institution. The United States Congress. Split right down the middle. You got... A hundred U.S. senators, they're the ones that are technically constitutionally, they are the liaisons between the states from which they are elected and the federal government. And then you have 435 members on the other side of the Capitol, the House of Representatives, and those people are elected by the members in their respective congressional districts And those people are solely in charge of the infrastructure matters of the United States, our government, the spending, all of those kinds of things. They hold the oversight position to make sure the government does all that right. Well, the big thing, of course, is money. The government can't function if it doesn't have money. Oh, they tell us all the time. Joe Biden brags about it every time he gets a microphone. We invested this much money in this. We invested in that. We're investing in infrastructure. We're investing in education. We're investing, investing, investing. Not one penny of government spending, not a single dime is investing. Investing, is something the government cannot do because it has no money of its own. The only money the US government has is what we the people give them through taxes. And by the way, the government doesn't own the government. Government of the people, government by the people, government for the people, the people of the United States own every asset the U.S. government has. So how do we determine what the government is going to spend on whatever it is? Well, let's do legislation, supposedly. They're the ones that pass all the spending bills and pull down some of the old ones. Some of the ones that were bad, they bring them back down and discuss them, amend them, and put them back in place. But we have to borrow money because we spend more money than we get from taxpayers. By the way, that's not supposed to be the case. The government's supposed to balance a budget. Well, we can't do that. If we balanced our budget, we'd have to cut spending. Spending for the people of America that depend on that money that we give them. It's amazing that through some administrations through history, it was common. They balance the budget. If you get a dollar in taxes, you can spend a dollar. And they do, and everybody's happy. So now we're up against another congressional government spending fight. A new budget. Ho, ho, ho. And the war is on. You haven't heard a lot about it purposely because they don't want voters in the middle of this one. Meanwhile, in the House of Representatives, where all spending begins, the House Freedom Caucus, that's that very conservative group of lawmakers, in preparation for working on this budget coming up in September, they have issued a list of 12 appropriations bills demands that will be considered by Congress in September, and the Freedom Caucus, comprised of a bunch of members of the House of Representatives, they say these 12 appropriations measures must be passed to avoid a government shutdown. Now how does a government shutdown happen? If the government ends its spending, has no more money, borrowed money to spend, they gotta shut down because they can't pay anybody for anything. Now the House Freedom caucus. they're pretty often they've clashed with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and other Republicans on government spending, arguing all the time for more cuts and the inclusion of conservative priorities in legislation. Yesterday, the caucus issued four demands as part of the appropriations process. four, indicating they will not vote for a spending bill, excluding those four demands, And remember, we have a narrowly divided House between Democrats and Republicans. The caucus announced it would not support any funding bill that does not include the House already passed Secure the Border Act of 2023 to stop the unchecked flow of illegal migrants, combat the evils of human trafficking, and stop the flood of dangerous fentanyl into our communities. Answer this question for me. Which idiot in Congress is not for doing that? I could probably name you 10 that will not be for it. They don't want to stop the unchecked flow of illegal migrants. They don't want to stop combating the evils of human trafficking. They don't want to stop the flood of dangerous fentanyl into our communities. And what is the common denominator for their not wanting, all of them not wanting? Follow the money. Where's the money in all of this? It's not the money that Congress gets to spend on these things. It's what money comes because it's allowed to happen. Cartels. Do you know You can bet your bippy the cartels are spending millions of dollars in the United States paying off people in our government to let them keep bringing fentanyl across, to let them keep trafficking people, kids, girls, young women into the United States. Those cartels are are making billions of dollars on the backs of those illegal immigrants that Joe Biden and his ilk are pressing for more and more and more of those people to be allowed in. Follow the money. The Secure Border Act passed by the House in a party-line vote on May 11. What's in it? Provisions to construct a wall along the border between the U.S. and Mexico, It bars asylum applications from migrants who entered the country illegally, as well as from those who transited a safe third country, which has been strongly opposed by Democrats, who, by the way, control the Senate. Biden has vowed to veto the Secure Border Act if it ever passes Congress. There's one. I asked if you knew any idiot that would be against it. I'm not saying he's an idiot. I'm just saying there's one person that is not for the Secure the Border Act. The caucus' second demand is that House Republicans address the unprecedented weaponization of the DOJ and the FBI, likely referring to the GOP's broad criticism of the prosecution of Donald Trump by the Department of Justice. Trump has been indicted by DOJ Special Counsel Jack Smith in two jurisdictions, Miami and Washington, D.C., both related to his possession of classified documents and attempts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Demand number three, appropriation bills be used to end the left's cancerous work policies in the Pentagon, undermining our military's core war-fighting missions. Congressional Republicans have criticized the DOD for advertising aimed at recruiting LGBTQ individuals and reading lists, including books by race-conscious authors. That's a big deal for the military. We can't have any authors. We can't have our military folks reading any of these race-conscious authors. And the final ultimatum by the caucus is that it'll oppose any blank check for Ukraine in any supplemental appropriations bill. Biden issued a supplemental request for monies to Congress on August 10th that included $24 billion more in aid to Ukraine, which has been opposed by many in the caucus who argue that the U.S. should not spend its money to support the country in its response to ongoing Russia's invasion. Congress will need to pass all 12 appropriations bills by September 30th. And they're not even in session now. They're all on vacation. they got to pass them all to avoid a government shutdown. The caucus has warned it will not vote for a continuing resolution. That's a stopgap measure where they just give them kind of like, not a blank check, but a blank check that's got a expiration date on it. You know what I mean. We don't support any kind of play to jam against the holidays that would allow Senate Democrats to gain leverage like an omnibus bill or a long-term continuing resolution. That's a spokesman for McCarthy, House Speaker. Any short-term continuing resolution would only be necessary as a way to continue working through regular order on bills that include Republican priorities. Um, I just thought I'd throw this out there. As you can imagine, the White House, nobody there will say anything about this. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in the U.S. Senate, he won't say anything about it. This is a hot potato. And this, my friends, may be where people go government to die I really think we have enough conservatism in the US House of Representatives to hold the line and to make the government spend government tax dollars given by us the right way and the way that Congress in regular order do you know the difference between regular order and the chaos that Democrats run the government. Do you know what that difference is? Here's how it works. Regular order means a proposal for some bill comes to the House Speaker, and we'll just talk about the House, and the House Speaker has the sole authority to look at all of those bills proposed and pick which ones they're going to take up in the House of Representatives. Then... That bill is assigned to a committee that's over creating and putting together from this proposal what is reasonable. And it goes to those committees. The committee, they call people to come testify. They look at documents. They discuss. They look and propose some due amendments to the bill. And after they get through with all of that, they vote on it. If it's approved in committee, Then it goes back to the speaker who determines when that bill will go to the entire House, not just the committee, but everybody in the House, where the process, regular order is. They'll talk about the individual pieces in the bill. There may be additional amendments that are proposed by the House. Those amendments are voted on. And finally, at the end of it, when they get a piece of legislation that's complete, They'll vote on, yes, we're going to pass this, or no, we're not. That's regular order. That's not the way our government works now. Chuck Schumer, the majority leader in the Senate, Nancy Pelosi, who just left the House Speaker spot, they would not send anything to a committee for regular order. Their people, Schumer's and Nancy, those people would craft a piece of legislation in the dark. Nobody knew about it. And they would then put it out and give the lawmakers 24 hours to look at it and then vote on it, which is counter to what the legislation process is and should be what McCarthy's trying to do is return our government legislative process that's been taken away from the people it's being held by the big powerful junkies in leadership in the democrat party and give it back to the people's representatives and let regular order be reinstalled and do it the right way going forward real truth real news tnn the truth news network
0: a wild caught filio
2: fish and a sizzly double cheeseburger well they are two classics that never go out of style hold on wait you're assembling a surf plus turf mcdonald's hack which must make you a menu hacker yes the surf plus turf available only on the mcdonald's app You get free medium fries and a drink. Oh, someone opened the app. I need to order and build one immediately.
3: The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. New
6: Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from
0: green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the
6: drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.
5: See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my.
1: Pee-wee Herman anymore, that great movie star. (laughs) Pee-wee's Great Adventure, remember that one? Man, that was radical, wasn't it? Anyway, it's good to laugh every once in a while. Not much to laugh about now. Um, Most everything is serious all the time. And I love comedy. I love to laugh. I like to huck it up with people. I like comedians. I'm not really into the four-letter word the someone that think they have to spew that kind of venom to be funny. But I like good humor. Not so much of that going around in our government, is there? This David Weiss thing, he's the federal prosecutor in Delaware, the one that was given the whole Hunter Biden thing in the very beginning, and he supposedly investigated the allegations against Hunter Biden for five years. Five years. Why five years? Well, guess what happened during that five years? We knew, we found out that Hunter Biden had committed amazing IRS tax fraud. I mean, for millions of dollars. And he was charged twice for that. But guess what happened during that five years when David Weiss just sat on his hands? Well, you can't prosecute him anymore. They ran out of legal time to do it. You think that was purposeful? Oh, and then we find out, of course, David Weiss being Delaware, being the prosecutor in Delaware, we find out, guess who else is from Delaware? That would be Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, Hunter's big brother that passed away. Beau Biden was the attorney general in Delaware. Come to find out, Hunter Biden's big brother was best friends with prosecutor David Weiss who was just surprisingly named the special counsel to go after Hunter Biden. You can't make this stuff up. Do you think there's any conflict of interest for Davis Weiss holding that job?
7: IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley's attorney, Mark Lytle, joins me once again now. Uh, Mark, good to have you with us. What's your overall reaction to all of this that came out over the weekend? Pretty big stuff.
8: Thanks, Martha. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, My overall reaction with all of this information that's come out from the political and New York Times articles are that that David Weiss has to go. He cannot be the special counsel in this case. Every day there's new revelations about Mr. Weiss, and the way he's handled this case, it's come out now that he first thought there should be no charges in this case. Then he reacted when the whistleblowers came out and came up with this special deal, the two misdemeanors with no jail time. Um, and, then, and then we hear threats. There, there are documents that show the defense team were threatening to put President Biden on the stand. And to say that's a threat, it really shows... Yeah that, you know, what is that going to accomplish? The head of the executive branch would be testifying in a trial against uh, the Department of Justice. It means Weiss has to go, and a special counsel from outside the the government, outside the Department of Justice, has to be put in here to handle the case.
7: Yeah, you know, I, I thought it was stunning. The point that you just made that that David Weiss, we now have learned, according to this information, that he never had any intention to bring any charges in this case, not the gun charges, not the tax charges. He was going to let this thing go away until your client, Gary Shapley, who we're going to talk to tomorrow in this program, until he um, and his colleague actually came forward. So that just. It says a lot, doesn't it, that, that when somebody came forward and told the truth, then the prosecutor decided that they would say, oh, yes, this is an ongoing investigation and put it all into high gear?
8: Yeah, Martha, the whistleblowers have been right all along. They've been tested. They've produced documents. They've been corroborated. Mm-hmm. The Department of Justice hasn't produced any information. But now, through what the defense has given to the media, Actually, we're getting a good uh, look into what was going on between these plea negotiations and the fact that um, this has never been told before, but apparently Clark, Chris Clark, Hunter Biden's attorney, went over Weiss's head to appeal Weiss, and he got a meeting at the deputy attorney general's office on April 26th of this year, just one week after my letter to select committees on Congress revealed that there was a whistleblower ready to come forward. All of these facts show Weiss is not the person who should be able to give the American public the confidence that this, this matter is getting looked into thoroughly and properly.
7: Yeah. Um, and, you know, you point out that he went over his head, that Chris Clark went over his head, which really just tells me, looking at that, that, that he knew that he had leverage he, because of who his client was. He, he knew that he could push this System around. And all along, we've been hearing from the White House that it was completely hands off and that nobody was interfering with this investigation. How should we believe that at this point?
8: Yeah, there's no way to know it, and there's no way to believe it because there's no shining light, there's no truth, there's no openness here about what was happening. And I'd add that what came out also in these documents is that Leslie Wolf, the chief obstructionist to the agents' investigative steps that they wanted to take that they wanted to take that would lead to Joe Biden or other folks, Mm -hmm. she stopped those things. And she's the one who is, it turns out, is the architect of the plea that came out. And then they took her back, even though the plea she negotiated, they took her off the pleadings and they brought new attorneys on, which gave the American public the perception that there were new eyes on this, but it wasn't, it was her eyes, it was her plea.
7: And what I find remarkable, and I'm going to talk to Gary Shapley about this tomorrow, is that no one has said that they're not telling the truth. In fact, once they spoke, then that's when everybody started to scramble and cover, you know, and cover, cover their you-know-what. Because they they had to get behind that story, but they never said these people aren't telling the truth, right?
8: It's going to come out that what Gary Shapley and Joe Ziegler have said, that the prosecutor that Weiss went to D.C., went to L.A. and was turned down, that's going to come out. Yeah. Eventually it's going to come out, and it's going to prove even more that the whistleblowers are right on this. But the fact that he got appointed special okay. counsel necessarily means that they that D.C. and L.A. turned him down, which contradicts what he told Congress. And so there's all kinds of I problems know. with Weiss. He needs to step down.
9: Okay.
1: Weiss has got to go. In the first place, special counsel, the statute that created it, says it must be someone appointed to that position from outside the government. David Weiss is the federal attorney for Delaware. He's right in the middle of all of this stuff, and we all know why he was appointed. It's to give Hunter a big favor. Now, you just heard conversation about the whistleblowers, the two IRS whistleblowers. When they file, when a government employee files for whistleblower status, they're protected. They cannot be attacked by their employers, anybody in the department in which they work. Well, guess what we find out today? Hunter's attorneys are pushing the Justice Department to prosecute both of the IRS whistleblowers after the House Ways and Means Committee voted to approve the public disclosure of the IRS whistleblower allegations. In June, the committee voted to make public multiple examples of alleged political interference in which the DOJ, quote, thwarted, hampered, or interfered with the IRS tax investigation into Hunter Biden. IRS Commissioner Daniel Warfel confirmed the rights of agency whistleblowers to make protected disclosures to Congress. Despite the procedure and the confirmation, Hunter's lawyers demanded the DOJ prosecute those two for disclosing details about the probe to Congress. Now, this is coming from the New York Times. The lawyer's request to prosecute whistleblowers, it appears to be motivated by the impact of their testimony on the investigation. (laughs) You think? According to the New York Times... The DOJ planned to let Hunter Biden off the hook with no charges. So what changed? Listen to this. The two whistleblowers came forward, and that messed up Hunter's deal. Now the IRS agents and their Republican allies say they believe the evidence they brought forward at the precise time they did played a role in influencing the outcome a claim senior law enforcement officials dispute. While Biden's legal team agrees the IRS agents affected the deal, his lawyers have contended the DOJ that by disclosing details about the investigation of Congress broke the law and should be prosecuted. Forget about that thing, you know, that truth thing. Forget about it government being of the people, by the people, and for the people. We all know what it's really about. It's about government for the Bidens, government by the Bidens, and government of the Bidens. (laughs) You can't make this mess up. So our neighbors across the Western Pond Sky News in Australia, they weighed in overnight about really heavy-weighted evidence against the Biden family that is growing by the day.
9: Now, James, we've been talking a lot on this program about all the indictments that Donald Trump's facing, but... Adam Crichton, uh, the Washington correspondent for The Australian, writes today that the weight of evidence against the Biden family is growing day by day. Uh, He writes how a House committee this month found that 20 million US dollars worth of payments from China, Romania, Kazakhstan, Russia, Ukraine uh, found their way into Biden family accounts. Uh, But he says that Democrats are taking this position that unless bank records emerge that show direct deposits into Joe Biden's bank account, there's no wrongdoing at all. Uh, I know you've been covering this yourself on your television show, The US Report, on Friday night. Is any of this going to impact on Biden's presidential run?
4: Well, look, I think it's going to have to because Democrats are now actually starting to ask questions and you're starting to see the dam start to slowly break, even on places like CNN, MSNBC, where they're admitting that Donald Trump was right in those debates when he said that Hunter made a fortune from China and Ukraine. Well, you know, the fact is there are bank deposits. There are suspicious bank transaction reports. There is all of these emails. There's all these sorts of communications. We have the tape of Joe Biden publicly admitting that he withheld foreign aid to Ukraine to get them to fire a prosecutor who was looking into Burisma. There's piece of evidence, circumstantial after circumstantial evidence here. If the Biden family's last name was Trump, the Democrats would be screaming up and down. It's very clear that there was a large influence peddling uh, operation And, Sherry, the thing that's really coming out now that mm. is very dirty is the way in which a deal was made or attempted to be made to protect Hunter and the Bidens from the consequences of their corruption by trying to give Hunter a sweetheart plea deal that would shut down all of the investigations into the Biden family. There's two tiers of justice in America right now. One if you're a Biden and one if you're the opposition. It is very mm-hmm. Banana Republic stuff. It's a dangerous place for America to be. And, frankly, I don't see how would they pull back from this?
9: Well, at least it's no longer being censored by Twitter and the other tech giants. So (laughs) that's something.
1: Oh, yes, I'm sure it is. (laughs) You think we know everything about the Biden family? Oh, my gosh. Joining us now is a man that probably can weigh in a little bit on all of that. Steve Baker joins us. Good morning, Steve. And how are you today? Good morning, Dan. I'm, uh, you know, uh, it's another day without chains on my
6: legs, so uh, you know,
1: <laughs> it's a good day. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I just can't start this thing without telling you. Uh, at church on Sunday, first of all, your mom, she really loves you. I don't know of another mom that I've seen that is so in the tank for her son as is your mom. She's very concerned about you. Hey, she's in your corner. (laughs) Mm. And uh, I was probably stopped by 10 or 15 people that said, Hey, is Steve okay? Is he okay? And I said, well, I didn't get a call to go post bail. So I think he's not in (laughs) the slammer yet, (laughs) at least. So Tell us about I'm just, that. I'm you, just glad I'm just glad I'm just glad you're the guy I can call. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> if hey, it can't be more than a couple hundred bucks, buddy. <laughs> uh, otherwise you're right, going right. to otherwise it's like uh Steve, you're going to be in jail to your trial. <laughs> well, speaking of being in Washington DC and being caught up in all this, we know you were you were in Washington DC last week. We talked on Tuesday. You were headed that way, and you had a little time with uh, some real close time, personal time, with that federal grand jury. What can you tell us about what happened?
6: Yeah, well, I don't know if I mentioned to you last week, uh, but uh, we spoke, of course, on Tuesday, and then the day before, on Monday, I actually met the requirements of my grand jury subpoena by taking a flash drive of all my January 6th related videos to the local FBI field office. And when I got there, I was accompanied by my attorney and we uh, met the investigating agent, uh, Craig special agent, Craig Noyes uh, outside the, you know, their security gate out in the parking lot. And we talked for about 15 or 20 minutes And when I say we talk, I I grilled him. I just relentlessly asked him questions and challenged him. And of course, he spent 99% of that time just shrugging or saying, you know, I really can't speak to that or I can't answer that or I don't know or whatever. And every time he said, I don't know, I, you know, I, I called him on it and said, well, that's absolutely impossible. You are the investigating agent. You've been working on my case for over two years. So whatever the Department of Justice is going to do, it's going to be based on your recommendations. And, and of course, he gave me no information whatsoever. But the fact that it is a grand jury that's looking at me—it's not a misdemeanor. It, uh, grand juries are not convened for misdemeanor cases, only for felonies. So I, you know, I told him. I said, you. Guys are putting together some sort of process crime. It's going to be only based on some words that have come out of my mouth. It could be this new obstruction of an official proceeding felony that they're tagging a lot of nonviolent uh, January 6 protesters with. And for those in the audience who are, are not familiar with why I was there, I was not there as a as a protester. Uh, once again, just again updating everybody. I've never been a Trump guy. So I wasn't wearing any, you know, I wasn't wearing a MAGA hat. I wasn't carrying a Trump flag. I was there specifically to do the job of a journalist that day. I followed the story where the story went and went into the Capitol.
4: And
6: I did some interviews after I emerged from the building with some uh, local media. And then I did some uh, immediate videos, that sort of thing, talking about what I saw. Obviously, my narrative does not comport with the mainstream narrative of it being a quote-unquote insurrection, and so I know that whatever they're trying to piece together and look at me for is going to be uh, for the intent and purpose of, of constructing some sort of felony charge. We just don't know. And the Department of Justice attorney that has my case up in uh, Philadelphia, her name is Anita Eve, uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Anita Eve. She will not return my attorney's uh, phone calls or emails. She just flat out will not respond to his request to get an update on what's going on. So I fulfilled the, um, the subpoena by delivering that hand, delivering that to him with the appropriate paperwork from my attorney. And then I had, I had to go the next day to DC anyway. And my grand jury appearance date was on Wednesday of last week. So even though I had already fulfilled the obligation by delivering that uh, data to the FBI agent, I thought on a lark, you know what? I'm just going to play dumb and I'm going to show up at the district courthouse there in DC and I'm going to go up to the grand jury uh, room on the third floor and I'm going to bring duplicate copies of everything I've handed the FBI agent already. And so that's exactly what I did. I showed up at the appointed time at 9am a few minutes before <laughs> I came up to a door that said authorized entry only. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know if I should go through that door or not. I'm I don't know if I'm authorized. And somebody said, oh, yeah, yeah, just go in. They'll they'll tell you what to do. So I opened the door and there was a U.S. marshal sitting at a reception desk there. And I walked up to him and said, yeah, I have a a grand jury subpoena here to deliver uh, some videos. And he looked at me like I I just dropped in from outer space. Like, what do you mean? And so I showed him the paperwork and I was playing innocent, and i said i am i am I in the right place?" And I showed him and he and he looked and he said, "Yeah, but this is the right place." He said, "But I don't have a clue what to tell you what to do." And I said, "Oh, wow, so what what should I do?" And he goes, "I don't know." And then he got up and he walked over and he knocked on a door, and then another u s attorney walks out the door, a really nice lady, and she came out and introduced herself, and how can I help you?" And I went through the same uh, innocent, dumb." kind of guy routine again and said, you know, I've got this uh, grand jury subpoena and I've got this flash drive with uh, uh, videos that I'm supposed to deliver here. And she said, well, let me look at the paperwork. And she looked good. She said, said, I I have no idea what to tell you. And I said, well, how how is it that I have a grand jury subpoena, but nobody knows what to do? And she said, well, to be honest with you, she said, nobody's ever actually done this before. And and I said, what do you mean? She said, well, as you can see on the cover letter, you, you had the ability to uh, fulfill your obligation by delivering it to the local FBI um, field office. And I said, oh, well, I had to be in D.C. anyway. So, I, you know, she goes, oh, okay. Well, that just, that makes sense. <laughs> and then uh, she, she, she uh, would make a longer, because st- it got a, a little bit more convoluted than that. But um, I stepped outside to make a couple of phone calls. and She said she was going to call the assistant U.S. attorney that had my case and see what she should do and how she should handle this. And she never got a hold of her. And so I came back in and about that moment, the the U.S. Marshal says, hey, he he can't be in here. The the grand jury's about to take their break and he can't see them. And because those are secret hearings. And I am like, oh, okay, do I need to leave? And he, and, and then the, the US attorney, the female US attorney said, do, do you have a room we can put him in? So he stands up, walks over and he unlocks this door in this little tiny room, a little tiny table with a couple of chairs. And they lock me inside this room. And I, I'm in there for about 10 or 15 minutes. And I'm, I'm, I'm just in there kind of giggling to myself and laughing and sending some texts out. And a couple of minutes later, she knocked on the door and she came back in, sat down with me and started explaining that, uh, she was going to make photocopies and scan those in, and she was going to send a, retu- a re- receipt return to my attorney. So I gave her his contact information. She gave me hers. And if there's any problem, you know, call me back and let me know. And I, you know, obviously I asked. I said, "Well, I don't understand why this is a confusing thing. I mean, it says for me to be here at nine o'clock." And she said,
1: "I know, but nobody ever actually shows up." For these. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our so, to- know, that's it- our tax dollars hard at work. <laughs> Yeah.
6: You know, and, and I, obviously I did that out of curiosity. It wasn't to um, poke the bear or do anything like that because I, as I said, I did fulfill my obligation on Monday, but uh, the, the reality is is I'm curious about what they're doing. And I thought maybe there would be a possibility that if I showed up there, I might get to ask some questions about my case. I I knew that I wouldn't be allowed to be in the grand jury room because as someone they're actually looking at somebody they're investigating Uh, The person, the defendant or the potential defendant being investigated is actually not allowed to see a grand jury. If I had been subpoenaed to testify before a grand jury, well, then that would have meant that they're not actually looking at me, that they were using my uh, uh, resources, my videos, uh, my, you know, um, experiences and investigations to try and ask me questions on somebody else's case. So the bottom line is is that this is about me and not uh, uh, that they're interested in my videos for some other purpose.
1: Let's segue to another topic. I wanted to talk to you about what came up yesterday. We we reported this. Apparently, a federal appeals court, I think it was Friday, but it didn't come out, the news didn't, until over the weekend, took a case by one of the January 6th... um, insurrectionist, I don't know what else to call you guys, Mm -hmm. but uh, one of your your fellow traitors. And this guy was charged with two things. He was charged with trespassing and a new charge that's called parading. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you heard about it, but the faux pas is that parading wasn't a federal law. There's no law created by Congress that makes parading... Doesn't define it, but it was ruled to be a felony. And this one guy, he was, he was, he probably pled, but at any rate, he was convicted of doing both trespassing Mm -hmm. and parading. And because parading is supposedly a felony, he was behind bars. And his attorneys pushed it up through the appeals process. And this appeals court, the judges unanimously, three-panel, they said, you can't do that. You can't make laws. The Department of Justice can't devise laws, especially not felonies. That can only be done by the United States Congress. So my question is, and I looked, we did a bunch of research, I can't find anywhere where there's a list of the numbers of charges against federal uh, criminals for parading. Have you heard of that happening a lot? I know you're deeply entrenched in all the G6 stuff. Have you heard about that happening? Yes. There's actually
6: four basic misdemeanors that are charged, uh, that almost every single one of the January 6th defendants are charged with. And one of those is there's actually a misdemeanor federal statute with regards to parading. And basically what that means is that you went through the building and you were waving a flag, or you were singing, or you participated in chanting USA, USA, or whatever the case may be, and that this was upgraded to a felony is what they had a problem with, and almost everyone, um, and, and when I'm talking about almost everyone, I'm talking about the the, the basic, um, what I call accidental tourists that day that walked through the open doors, have been hit with those four basic misdemeanors, then they typically plead down to one of them, one of those being either the uh, entering a restricted space or the parading charge, if in fact they were carrying a flag or something like that. They typically get uh, two years probation, a thousand dollar fine, maybe a few hours of community service, something like that, and then they can go back home and try to rebuild their life. Because when, when I say rebuild your life, as you know, these January 6th, uh, defendants are treated very different differently back home than were, um, BLM rioters who burned down buildings or, you know, assaulted police officers, that sort of thing. So nonviolent people, uh, on January 6th have lost their, they're typically fired. Uh, if they're a couple, you know, married couple or a, engaged couple or whatever that wandered into the building together, took a couple of selfies. They go back home, um, or not go back home, but essentially after their charges hit the local press, their, their jobs fire them. They lose their standing with whatever uh, clubs that they're members of. They're booted out. Some, some people then kick out of their churches. Some lose their relationships with family. Uh, it's it's a really a, a horrific thing because of the political nature of this. And let's call it what it is. That it is a political persecution because anyone else in any other time, even in D.C., if you had done any similar type action, even greater, even committed felonies in other crimes in D.C., even protest-related crimes, whether it was BLM, Antifa, or it was some other protest where they even went inside the Capitol, which has happened numerous times over the years. These people typically have their cases dismissed. They're not having this them dismissed here. And because of the uh, insane political ramifications applied specifically to these January 6th defendants, they have to go back home, even if they got no prison time and try to rebuild uh, their lives again. And that's what I mean by that. But this, this uh, narrative of Every single person that was in DC that day being an insurrectionist, not only is that absurd on its face, because the vast, vast, vast majority of the people didn't even enter the Capitol or come on the Capitol grounds, but these people have had their um, their banking records voluntarily turned over to the FBI. So if you If you swiped your credit card for either a hotel or a tank of gas uh, in the uh, D.C. or Virginia, Maryland area on either the 5th, 6th, or 7th, Bank of America, Citibank have turned your financial records over to the FBI. And there's a big, big um, uh, problem with that. There was just a motion filed by the Weaponization Committee to uh, begin investigating that, and hopefully they're going to do something about it, and they'll follow through. But but it, it goes, of course, much, much deeper than that because if you were an innocent person who just wandered up at the Capitol an hour after the, the the breach lines were done and the barricades were pulled down and the restricted area signs were pulled down and hidden by the provocateurs who were assigned to do that thing that day, and then you saw an open door where hundreds of people were wandering in and you said, look, honey, and you wandered in, well, then you're, you're stuck with where you're at right now. Myself, I did essentially the same thing. I arrived at the Capitol grounds after all those barricades and those signs were pulled down. I started doing my video work. I started following the story. The story eventually went inside the building. I followed it inside the building and uh, we're going to, of course, regardless what happens to me, if they do in fact, finally press charges, one of the things that we're going to make a case against is the selective prosecution because there was something between 80 and a hundred different journalists, entered the building that day. Some credentialed, many not. And uh, there is an obvious and overt effort to selectively prosecute those who come from more of a right-side political uh, narrative of that event, but they're not prosecuting anyone credentialed or not, who went inside that building as a journalist that day, who submitted their stories to some sort of left-wing publication or blog. And that's just overt. And I'm actually helping a defendant on that right now. I filed a, um, uh, a written affidavit for him on his case, another young uh, independent journalist. And I actually, I'll be covering his trial in, uh, actually, next month. I'll go up to D.C. for his trial. And then, in addition to that uh, there are, as I said, many other examples of that type of selective prosecution taking place against journalists. And, and right now they've got their sights on me, so we're going to just wait and see what happens. I, I still, every single day, that I don't get a notice from my attorney that it's time for us to go turn yourself in, or I don't get to see the red dots through my window at 6 a.m.
1: is a good day. I guess so. A couple of things I want to uh, get your thoughts on this January 6th stuff, you've been in the middle of it since even before January 6th. But this latest spade of stuff, these attacks, these uh, um, judicial processes that have been dropped on former President Trump, Jack Smith, the ones that have come in the J6 case and the judge mm-hmm. up there in D.C. I don't know if you heard, but... Uh, Trump came out yesterday. His attorneys are seeking an April 2026 trial date in the J6 right. case, and of course, everybody on the left they just started screaming and hollering. What most people don't realize, and some of our listeners probably don't realize, when they start discovery in a case like that, remember, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna have all kinds of classified information that are going to be part of it. Trump's attorneys are going to be filing motions for discovery of all kinds of classified materials. Um, The prosecution will be doing the same thing. When they do that, every person that touches any part of that process has got to personally be cleared under the federal classification eligibility process, which isn't some kind of, oh, okay, he's a nice guy. We'll let him look at it all. Legally, it has to go through a process. So when you're talking about a case that is going to be this monstrous, because there are so many moving parts, as you know better than I do, um, it's going to take a long time to get all of that, just the discovery stuff lined up so that it can happen. And then, of course, when they start releasing the classified documents, there are going to be all kinds of redacted things. There'll be fusses and fights over what's redacted and uh, trying to get some of it unredacted and all that. Do you think it's unrealistic to ask for a trial to be that far out in scheduling? It, well first of all it's not unrealistic
6: what's unrealistic is that the uh, government is demanding that he begin this trial as early as December of this year because <laughs> let's just let's just start uh, in fact let me make a, a quick comparison here I have a um, a guy that I'm've become familiar with in the last year and a half who is a January 6th defendant out of Kansas and he is a pro he's a pro se defendant and what that means for those wondering what in the world that is. It's somebody who's defending himself. He's doing this without a lawyer. And Dan, he is really, really good. He was arrested almost two and a half years ago, nonviolent offender, uh, but he has been charged with a felony, one of these obstruction of a official proceeding felonies. So he's facing a felony count. He chose not to plead down. He's going to stand for truth. He's going to stand for his innocence. And even as a pro se defendant, meaning this is a guy without the training and the skills of a lawyer, he has managed to not only hold the government back because of that discovery issue that you're talking about. He files motion after motion after motion, demanding discovery and proving that they're withholding it from him. And um, and he still doesn't, two and a half years later, still does not even have a trial date set. And this is infinitely more simple case than is trump's trump's involves millions over 10 million documents that have to be gone through and looked at but wait a minute wait a minute
1: steve stop right there everybody (laughs) knows trump's guilty i mean you know we just gotta we just gotta Uh, send him to prison. We can't let him run against Joe Biden or Kamala or whoever's going to show up. We got to get rid of him as quickly as possible. And they think this was going to stick. I thought setting that trial date, this judge in D.C. did that. And she's not a stupid judge. She is obviously a hardcore anti-Trump guy. She even made a comment that should disqualify her from being over the case, she said something complaining about people and all the insurrectionists, and she said the guy that's responsible for it all is still walking free. But oh. <laughs> but she, but she right. she's an unbiased judge, right? Of course. And this is
6: and this was the point that I'm making, and that you were making as well. And and to clarify it uh, uh, more clearly for everyone is that it's not that they can just show up. At the court with twelve million documents in a, <laughs> in a thousand boxes, uh, uh, they can't do that. These documents have to be gone through. And now the government's saying, "Yeah, but at least half of those are documents that uh, that Trump has had in his possession for years already. That has nothing to do with it. It's his attorneys. It's the new legal staff. And as you mentioned before, these guys, Trump doesn't in his own case just to just get to a point his own attorney. Once he Brings an attorney onto his team, the court has to actually approve that attorney. They have to file motions to get them appointed to the case. So that's a process. And then once they're brought into the case, then they're legally allowed to see the access of of this quote unquote discovery, whatever that is be it video, audio, documents, whatever. And then it's going to take years to go through all of this discovery if the government behaves themselves. But we know that this is a political prosecution. I prefer the word persecution, just as is happening to most of these January 6 defendants. It's a persecution. They're not playing the game fairly. They're making up the rules as they go, sometimes making up the charges as they go. And that's what got me involved with with the Oak, Oak case to begin with. Yeah. Is I was looking at one of those defendants' charging documents all the way back in November or December of 21. And I'm just reading through his charging documents. And I saw with my own eyes at least six or seven incidences where the FBI affiant who prepared the case against uh, this this defendant for the Department of Justice literally created crimes out of thin air that this man never engaged in, never did. So they're they are piling on, making up stuff as they go along. And if they're doing it to a, a simple little innocent welder out of Central Florida who was a welder for SpaceX and a disabled veteran. Uh, who wasn't even going to January 6 until the, he was talked into it on January 3rd to provide security for VIP speakers on a licensed side stage at the Capitol, uh, permitted by the Capitol Police themselves. And then suddenly this, get, this guy gets caught up in a seditious conspiracy crime. And, and if they're going to do that to him, you can imagine what they're doing to Trump, the
1: most vile, hated man
6: the world.
1: Let's switch gears for a second. <clears throat> let's fast forward from Trump to, oh, let's say Hunter Biden. David Weiss, a federal prosecutor from Delaware. What are your thoughts on the realism, the facts, the truth about him being appointed the special counsel on a Hunter Biden thing with all the stuff that has come out after the fact? We know, for instance, that he was best friends with Bo Biden, Delaware. Mm. Bo Biden Mm -hmm. was the attorney general of Delaware. David Weiss was the federal prosecutor at the time. How in the heck can this fly that Merrick Garland, who is without question the most feckless attorney general in my lifetime, and I thought Eric Holder would hold that right forever, but Merrick Garland is just a yes man for whoever is calling the shots up there. But do you think David Weiss should be the guy that is actually going to investigate Hunter since he's supposedly been investigating him for five years already? Well, let's
6: just put a uh, quick point to this particular uh, appointment of Weiss. It's an illegal appointment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Full stop. It's over. And that's what needs to be. uh, brought not just brought up, and it's and it's already been mentioned. Obviously, uh, people in the right wing media have been bringing that up, but this is a situation right there where Congress once again needs to do their job, and they need to be screaming bloody murder. And they need to use whatever authority, whatever power. And, of course, the only power that the House has right now is the power of the purse. And they just need to defund the Department of Justice right now and make sure that nobody involved in that case is getting a paycheck. That's it. That's the only thing they can do. And they actually have the constitutional authority to do that. And if these people are not going to play fairly, then it needs to be fight fire with fire. And that's exactly what needs to happen because it will, an illegal appointment should not have happened. And, um, and it needs to be stopped. And if you can stop it by withdrawing all the funds that are supporting this, then that's what they need to do.
1: As we're talking, I'm waiting for a notification. Congressman Mike Johnson's going to be on the show one day this week. And one of the number one things I'm going to get clarification from him is on this issue. He's on, uh, He's the number three guy on the uh, House Judiciary Committee, and he is up to his eyeballs in all of this stuff. But there's got to be something besides just the power of the purse. There's got to be something because this is a statute that was created to make the special counsel position even be a reality. And there in it very plainly says a special counsel is supposed to be appointed from outside the government. So when somebody right. does otherwise, there's got to be a way to hold them accountable other than the defunding thing. Wouldn't you think?
6: so Yeah, some some of these uh, legal think tanks, they need to start filing lawsuits and have this thing fast-tracked to the Supreme Court right away. And I think that that's the only other option they have is that they're going to have to get this into the courts immediately. Uh, they may they may be able to skip over the district court and go straight to the appellate court, and then and then fast track it straight from there to the Supreme Court. Or this may be one of those in instances because it is such a high profile event, and because it is dealing with the ex president, and it is dealing with the um, the family of a in in Weiss's case, a family member of the current president they may be able to skip this right over to um, SCOTUS and and get a ruling there. But that's, that's the only thing just from my limited knowledge of how that works that they can do.
1: Before we let you go, I got to get your sense on Jack Smith. How in the heck do we get these people appointed to these very, very (laughs) critical positions and they've got such a speckled past. I know you're, You've, like you said, you've not been a big fan of Donald Trump, but you're all in for the rule of law. And how this could be right. the best guy to take this task on is beyond any comprehension. This guy is probably one of the worst um, prosecutors in U.S. history. I mean, he he went after the governor of, Rich, of uh, Virginia and got him in prison, and it was overturned 100% by the U.S. Supreme Court— of other couple of other cases like that. How can this be allowed to stand? Is there no way to hold anybody in the Department of Justice liable for making these unbelievable decisions and choices? It's happening
6: because they know that they're immune from being held accountable right now because, this is easy for us to say, but it's an absolute truth the the there's there's a thing that we call in this country we call it the fourth estate it's the media and the the left-wing media still is the predominant source for most people in this country most of uh, anyone's constituents left or right where most people are getting their information and because of that if they don't say it if they don't themselves cry foul then those um Government officials, if we're talking about Merrick Garland on down or, or uh, Biden on down, are not going to be dissuaded from flat out breaking the law, like with this Weiss appointment. And they're not going to be diss- dissuaded by the optics of a, uh, you know, a very tainted, you know, figures as, uh, Smith, they're just, they're just not going to be dissuaded by that because they know that they have the support of what I call, you know, the Praetorian guard or the palace guard, which is the mainstream press. And of course, even though the Biden administration and his spokespeople will say, Oh, you know, the DOJ, they're independent. Well, no, they're not. They're not, uh, Uh, independent from this administration. They They are moving together in coordination, collusion, lockstep, hand in glove with one another, and they are absolutely convinced that they can get by with murder, and that's exactly what they're doing.
1: And the American people, meanwhile, are watching, and the outrage is growing, getting heightened levels. I've never seen so many angry people, angry Americans, at these leaders in our country at almost every level. They're thumbing their noses at the rule of law. The President of the United States, his henchmen that are in the, uh, uh, they're secretaries of various agencies. They're refusing to hold people accountable to the rule of law. And that means if you don't have that, if you don't have that structure in place, you don't have a nation, you can't survive as a nation you're no better than the likes of Venezuela and some of those banana republics down in the Caribbean, if you unilaterally try to take all the power and just forget about what the documents say, what the Constitution says, you really don't have a nation.
6: No, that's it. I mean, we we are and we were established as a nation of law, not as a nation of men. And it was the law, the structure of a constitutional republic that are supposed to protect us from the whims of men. And right now we are seeing the uh, whims of men destroying lives, whether it's Trump's life or whether it's my life. And that is exactly what we're up against right now. We're not up against the rule of law. We're up against individuals in power who are ignoring that sacred document, that are ignoring the rule of law. They're ignoring the, the millions of pages of laws that have been drafted in the last 247 years. And that's uh, that's what we're up against. And until we either hit the reset button, I don't even, you know, like, like a rebooting a computer, I, I don't even know if we can do that, Dan, but that's what's going to have to happen. And I don't know if, uh, I, I don't see a coalition of righteous individuals in DC who who have either the numbers or the will to make that happen.
1: Same here, my friend. Meanwhile, you and I will keep cranking it away. Thank you for coming and joining us every week. And any time in between these formal get-togethers, you know, you always have the ability to holler at me and jump on any time, and we appreciate your doing so. Awesome, Dan. I really appreciate it. I'm always looking forward to Tuesday morning every week. Same here. Steve Baker, one of the best, and he's our guy. Have a great week. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Dan. For the rest of you, don't go anywhere. Guess what? House Republicans have just subpoenaed DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. This is going to be fun. <laughs> That's next.
5: Fox Wednesday. Could this mysterious princess unlock riches? Steve
2: Sanger. all hail princess adrian
4: all new i can see your voice then tv's number one new show's top 10 face double elimination no one is safe
5: this can't be
4: good all new i can see your voice and all new next level chef wednesday on fox
5: no doubt you've heard about this subliminal seduction nonsense you know commercials that are supposed to have hidden messages in them well, Baron's Barron. saloon denies any use of this so-called mind control. Come to After all, Baron's is seductive enough as it is.
4: Get in your car and come right now.
5: What with a 16-page dinner menu crammed with delectable items, You're
4: starting to salivate.
5: 30 dinner items under $5, Keep out. Save
4: big bucks.
5: and a happy hour that lasts from 4 till 8 p.m. Sex. Obviously, Barron's has that rare combination of good food. Take out your wallet. Good fun. Give us your money. And good prices. Give us your cash. So let's put this subliminal seduction nonsense to rest. Nobody can do your thinking for you. Come to Barron's. You either want to come to Barron's. You do, you do. Or you don't.
4: But boy, oh boy, you do, you do.
5: Barron's. Airport and South Academy. <laughs>
0: When the lie becomes the norm, speaking the truth becomes a revolutionary act. Dan Newman,
1: TNN, The Truth News Network. Alejandro Mayorcas, he's the Homeland Security Secretary. He is an enigma to me. I don't understand how one man can have the power that Alejandro Mayorcas has. It's, it's, it's likened a little bit to the power that Dr. Anthony Fauci had during our pandemic and thinking about the lives that were either destroyed totally by what Fauci told us to do and not to do, um, maybe because he scared us to death, but Mayorkas has kind of got the same kind of power. So House Republicans have subpoenaed him and what they're looking for specifically is information about a program he put together that allows citizens of Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela to come to the United States on a temporary basis. Now, let me say this. It's not, that is not entrenched in any immigration law. In other words, the House Homeland Security Secretary is just making something up and making it be enforceable. Homeland Security Committee in April, they sought a suite of documents on the CHNV parole program. That's the name of this process that uh, Mayorkas has created, including all communications about its establishment, a breakdown of data related to the applicants that have used this to get to the United States. It's modeled after the Uniting for Ukraine program. That allowed those fleeing the war-torn country to temporarily come to the US. And the Biden administration, and I didn't even know this, they've been allowing up to 30,000 citizens from these four countries to enter each month. 30,000 citizens from the four countries to enter each month. And seeking information about this thing, The committee back in April cast it as an effort that assists large swaths of illegals into the interior of the U.S. DHS has repeatedly reached far beyond its congressionally authorized statutory authority to choose the groups it prefers to grant entry into the United States. Does this smell a little bit to you? The Biden administration announced in October it would no longer allow Venezuelans to seek asylum at the border, subjecting them to the now-defunct Title 42 removal process. That decision was made alongside another that allows Venezuelans to apply for parole if they could secure a financial sponsor here in the U.S., something out of reach for most people. The program was later expanded in January to include the three other countries, targeting the nationalities most frequently apprehended at the border. On Monday, committee chairman Mark Green, who's a Republican from Tennessee, said the request theirs to Mayorkas to get all the details, they haven't received a thing. They're 102 days delinquent. Let me just decipher that for you, Chairman Green, Republican from Tennessee. Mayorkas doesn't give a rip about your opinion, nor the opinion of any other person in Congress. He only cares about the green light that President Biden gave to him and said, Alejandro, open the floodgates and let's let all of these illegals just come in here. Yeah, they won't be here legally, and technically they can be prosecuted for being here illegally, but I'll cover for them. We got to get all of these jobs that these people need and desperately want. We got to get them these jobs, and don't worry about it taking jobs away from Americans. The stuff that we reported on early in the show today. It's the rule of law. We just talked about it. Steve and I just talked about it. They don't give a rip about it. This request comes as Green and the committee have started work on a report that could serve as a basis for an impeachment of Mayorkas, pledging to turn it over to the House Judiciary Committee, which has jurisdiction over this. DHS said they have turned over the bulk of what the committee asked for. DHS has provided substantial materials in response to the Homeland Security Committee's request. The department also communicated to the committee that we will provide additional data as it becomes available. Instead of working with us, they have unnecessarily escalated to a subpoena. (laughs) That sounds exactly like something Mayorkas would say. And they weren't through. DHS will continue cooperating with congressional oversight requests, all while faithfully working, here we go, faithfully working to protect our nation from terrorism and targeted violence, secure our borders, respond to natural disasters, defend against cyber attacks, and much, much more. I'm an American. I watch this stuff certainly closer than most people that are listening right now, but also, I watch it more closely than 99% of your fellow Americans. They're not securing our borders. They're not responding to natural disasters. They're creating them, and they're not defending against cyber attacks. They're suborning sex trafficking, child trafficking, drug trafficking and all kinds of breaking of federal laws, federal immigration laws. And they're doing it because Joe Biden's letting them do it. The subpoena also spurred a response from the panel, stomped Democrat, which that shouldn't surprise any of us who backed the department and said the majority broke committee rules by failing to inform them. Like, That should stop them from getting the information or trying to. It's absurd. Here we go, name-calling. That extreme MAGA Republicans running our committee have subpoenaed the department while the department has been working with them to get them what they need and has been producing and transmitting requested data. Not only is the Republican request outside the committee's legislative jurisdiction, which it's not, by the way. The majority broke the committee's rules, which they themselves wrote by not informing us accordingly. That's from Benny Thompson, Democrat from Mississippi. This subpoena is just another misstep in their baseless and politicized effort to impeach Mayorkas. To DHS, the program has been a success and, of course, Majorca says the southern border, and they're managing the southern border. It's not open. It's closed. And they're doing a greater job than any of their predecessors have ever done. I don't know a single American that I've ever talked to that believes what they say, what you just heard, and much, much more. But then again, truth doesn't matter. Truth doesn't matter as all. You know, when I was talking to Steve about this request by former President Trump to delay the trial date for the J.C. Sixth stuff I just got a note that Special Counsel Jack Smith, he's pushed back against that request. And Smith said that, quote, the defendant cites in apposite statistics and cases, overstates the amount of new and non-duplicative discovery and exaggerates the challenge of reviewing it effectively. Lawyers for Trump had objected to Smith's proposal of a January 2nd, 2024 trial date, filing a motion that claimed the DOJ's objective was to stop President Trump and his counsel a fair ability to prepare for trial. One of the reasons provided was the, as Steve talked about a minute ago, 11.5 million pages that had already been provided by Smith's office, which they say is equivalent to the entirety of Tolstoy's War and Peace, cover to cover, 78 times a day every day from now until jury selection, or 99,762 pages each day. Other reasons included President Trump's busy legal calendar. He faces, by the way, maybe Jack doesn't realize this, three other criminal trials that were brought against him this year and the complex nature of the case. The DOJ filed a response on August 21st claiming a 2026 start date would deny the public its right to a speedy trial. I thought speedy trials were the rights of those that were being charged. Not the public. The public doesn't have a right for a speedy trial. It's for those that have been charged with criminality. It's their right to not be held for an unreasonable period of time before the trial. The trial date will be set by U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin at a hearing on August 28th. We're going to watch for that. That's six days from now. This pontification of everybody, every conservative on the planet, not just here in the United States, but the left and their media lapdogs, they've just gone crazy. Talk about racism. you got to get the right pronoun out of your mouth or you're an evil person and they want you just kicked off of the planet Earth if you don't do that right. But it's okay for them to call every conservative a MAGA Mega MAGA Republican. First of all, I know a lot of conservatives. You heard Steve just a few minutes ago, Steve Baker. He's one of the most conservative people I've ever known. You know me. I'm not a Republican. Steve's not a Republican either. And neither one of us are MAGA, mega MAGA Republicans. But it's okay for Democrats to call you anything they want to call you because why? They're Democrats. They're the party in control. Oh, by the way, you remember that battery factory going on up in Michigan that was so contentious? Governor Gretchen Whitmer up there said, oh, it's it's just benign. There's nothing to it. The company behind that electric vehicle battery plant quietly showed up and appeared as a Chinese foreign principal in an under-the-radar registration. Surprise you? Didn't surprise me. Goshen Incorporated, Goshen, G-O-T-I-O-N, a Fremont, California-based energy company, is facing uproar from Republican politicians and residents in the state of Michigan over potential Chinese Communist Party influence and concerns since it first unveiled plans to construct this multi billion dollar facility with the support of Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Goshen's parent company, Goshen High Tech, guess where it lives, breathes, eats, sleeps, and operates? Heifai City, China. Chuck Thielen, Goshen's North American manufacturing vice president, has tried to alleviate worries and stated CCP concerns are overblown. Of course he would. I mean, he works for them. They pay him to say that kind of crap. The rumors that you've heard about us bringing communism to North American are just flat-out fear-mongering and really have nothing based in reality, Thielen said. And of course... It's reported by Politico, so everybody's got to believe it, right? Of course, Michigan Democrats have also dismissed the Communist Party Chinese concerns as Republican scare tactics. Extremists in the Michigan GOP have spent weeks promoting baseless conspiracies that only work to block the thousands of good-paying American jobs that Goshen plans to bring to our state. That's from Democrat Party chair in Michigan, LaVora Borns, And of course, it's always, it's always about the money. Anything in politics, the justification for accepting anything or denying anything is based solely on the money. When this all came up, I knew, and I said on this show, this thing is Chinese-backed. You can book it. Whitmer announced in October Goshen would invest $2.4 billion to construct two 550,000-square-foot production plants and other supporting facilities spanning 260 acres in northern Michigan. Of course, she applauded the proposal, saying it would shore up Michigan's status as the global hub of mobility and electrification. And then people started looking in to find some facts. Republican lawmakers, residents, national security experts have raised concerns about Goshen's Chinese, not affiliation, ownership, and their ties to the directly Chinese Communist Party. The corporate bylaws of Goshen High Tech required the company to quote carry out party activities in accordance with the Constitution of the Communist Party of China. It was reported in June, Michigan Democrat Representative Elisa Slotkin and a high-level staffer signed a non-disclosure agreement with the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, allowing them to be privy to negotiations about Goshen's proposed electric vehicle battery factory, and it's going to be built if it gets through all the red tape in big rapids. After a months-long national security review, the Biden administration greenlit the project that same month. Joe, in the pockets, it's all about the money. Joe, in the pockets, more proof of the Chinese Communist Party. In the final story of the day, this one's going to toast. You are going to be so hacked off. The first draft of Hunter Biden's sweetheart deal with the DOJ, listen to this. It would not have required him to plead guilty. And the only reason it changed, you know why, because of the whistleblower's testimony. He was going to go totally scot-free. Thankfully, the deal fell apart, and maybe there may be some accountability. Just maybe. What's that going on? Oh, it's Andre Crouch. You're just waking up. Yeah, it's a new day. <laughs> well, we've already started ours. Hey, guys. You have I mean, a great I Tuesday. We will be this. back first and thing in the morning, 9 to 11 a.m., every and Monday through Friday. TNN Live. I need that today, Lord.
5: stage when I try to do things in my own way. You say that if I'm only asked, you would direct my path.
2: My soul